details before the start of the episode. Just wanted to say we were testing some audio things. My audio does not sound the same as usual. So, you know, we still have a show. It's still interesting. It's still worth listening to. But my audio is a bit different than normal. We're still working on it. So, stay tuned. Dude, we have like a week plus a couple of days until Christmas. Doesn't sound right. Doesn't feel right. Is what it is. We have 11 days. We have a week and a half. Not when this episode comes out. We'll only have 10 days. Oh. Ooh. <laughs> Almost single digits. <laughs> Dude, college bowl season's getting underway. We have the NFL is still happening. Like, still happening. What week is it in the NFL even? I don't even know. Uh, we're going into week 15. Uh, also known as fantasy football uh, playoff start. Wow. Yeah. We have a whole extra week of the NFL this season, too. Doesn't sound right to me. And kind of doesn't feel right either. Feels like we've been in a state of nothing but college news. But we have some NFL news to talk about this week. I say we go ahead and get started with that. What do you say? I say let's jump on into it. So, Bug can't be here again. But it's me and Tug. Got the whole thing on lockdown for you. (laughs) And it's coming fast. So this is BDT number 106. Bring it on. So, you know, we had to start with some Bears news. Jakeem Grant on the first punt return touchdown of the season. Unreal. Unfortunately for the Bears, it was the only time in the entire game they looked like they belonged on the same field as the Packers. So, you know, what a way to go. <laughs> Man, I'm happy Jakeem got it. I've been saying all year that he's been due, but, oh. Would have been better to see him in a Dolphins uniform doing that. Big facts. When did that trade happen? It was this offseason, right? No, it was actually in the middle of the I was right around the trade deadline. Wow. Feels like a decade ago. I barely remember him on the Dolphins. And yet, at the same time, somehow he feels like he's been a Dolphin his whole career. So, Well, he was a Dolphin his entire career. But... And and to justify your feeling of it feels like forever ago, keep in mind, the trade deadline was like two months ago at this point. Jeez. Just so many things have happened since then. Omicron. I mean, I've had like two NBA classes since then. Also, the Dolphins are winning. Gosh, when's the last time that happened? Last November. (laughs) Yeah, like I said, a decade ago or several (laughs) Uh, also Las Vegas is going to host Super Bowl 58 in 2024 pretty exciting stuff now according to current NFL rules technically Las Vegas is not eligible because they're required to have 70,000 seats seats yeah seats in the (laughs) in the uh, stadium and Vegas only has 65,000 they have ways to get around that They could also just change the rule. I mean, it's up to the owners anyway. But Las Vegas currently has the 2024 Super Bowl. As far as I know, it's going to go L.A. to the new stadium and then to Arizona and then to Vegas and then to New Orleans. So we have the next couple of Super Bowls planned out at least. How how are you going to do that? How are you going to build a brand new stadium knowing what the seat requirement is for the Super Bowl? And not meet the seat requirement. You know, that would have been a great question to ask the owner. Of that, the is, that is absolutely 100% a Mark Davis move. Right? Right. You know what else is a Mark Davis move? Getting COVID. <laughs> you mean like half the NFL? Transition. Yeah. So that was a record number of players got COVID after this week. I think Monday there were 37 positives across the league. And then more on Tuesday. So a lot of bad things have happened. 
I think the Rams are in intensive protocols. The Browns and another team, I believe, are in the second tier of protocols where the facility isn't shut down entirely, but nobody can really come in. Kind of weird. I don't know. A lot of issues with COVID right now around the league. It's to the point where the NFL has mandated that all tier one and tier two staffers. So tier one is going to be like your coaches. Anybody has direct access to the players. Tier two is going to be your people who have indirect access to the players. Uh, They're all now required to get the booster shot. Pretty wild. Pretty wild indeed. In addition to COVID, plenty of injuries happening around the league as well, including, of course, Lamar Jackson and Josh Allen still having ankle issues, both of them. Lamar Jackson's happened this weekend, though, thanks to Miles Garrett, (laughs) who I want to talk about a little bit more in depth later. But right now, let's stick on these quarterbacks. Lamar Jackson and Josh Allen, both these teams are in the thick of a playoff hunt. They're not in any way close to clinching a playoff spot, and yet their quarterbacks are injured. What do you think this does to the Ravens and the Bills in their pursuit of making the playoffs? It definitely hurts um, significantly, especially the Bills who are now chasing, you know, the the ever common refrain of the AFC East is chasing New England is back again this year and the Bills are chasing New England. I think New England beat them both times they played, so they're really in the hole there. Um, and this is not good for the Bills. They haven't quite looked the same this year as they did last year. It seems like teams have figured them out, you know, except for Miami. Um, for the Ravens, this is a big blow for them, uh, but it's recoverable for them because the entire AFC North is all kind of within that same conglomeration of record right now. They're all really close to each other. So that one, I still can't predict how it's going to go. Yeah, literally every team in the AFC North is still eligible to win the division, let alone make the playoffs. Even the Steelers at what, six, six, and one right now? So anything yep. could happen. Bigger things than ankles. You know, we have a, we haven't talked about Demarius Thomas yet. So that was the big news last week, happened right after we recorded. Yep. And, and, um, <laughs> a lot of things we could say about Demarius Thomas. Really fantastic football player, one of the best wide receivers. I was able to watch, you know, in my high school years, I would say. Marius Thomas was really dominant. Broncos started their game this past weekend with 10 men on the field instead of 11 in honor of Demarius Thomas. That's a sign of a pretty good front office coaching staff that really get it. So, appreciate that. And and I'm going to give it up for uh, Dan Campbell here, too who declined the delay of game penalty that they took. Absolute class act, class move by both teams. Absolutely fantastic. Again, man, it's shocking. He only retired this past offseason. Like, that is, it's it's a brutal situation. Only 33 years old, Marius Thomas has gone way too soon. So, weird transition here, but let's go to the exact opposite of a good organization go to a trashy organization down in Jacksonville. Urban Meyer's under a whole lot of heat again for some new things. This is related to apparently some comments he has made to assistant coaches and to administrative staff all around the organization. Call them losers saying, you know, everywhere I've gone, I've been a winner and you guys are all losers. That's why you're here in Jacksonville. Like, dude, didn't you bring them here? Wasn't that like your decision involving hiring? So, yeah, the general manager down in Jacksonville already has a replacement in mind, which is never a good sign. And yet, Shad Khan apparently is kind of hesitant to move on. Do you think this is sustainable? Do you think Jacksonville is possibly going to recover with Urban Meyer head coach even in the next season? Not saying the things he's saying, and you say this is new stuff, but it's just rehashing some old stuff. Yeah, it wasn't the public news breaking 
booty tap he had back in uh, back in Ohio. Um, but these reports of him talking down to his players, to his staff, to to everybody, they were also there. So this is not new. Um, man, they he is not used to losing. I don't think he's ever really had a bad season in the past, what, 30 years at this point. This is new for him. It's not an excuse. And because of that, because he's not committed to growing a team from nothing, I personally, I think the Jags got to move on. I, I don't see how you can bring him back. Rashad Collins was quoted as saying, you know, Gus Bradley got four years here. Doug Maroon got four years here. Not going to rush into a hasty decision to do what's best for the team. That certainly sounds like he's going to get another year. I don't get it. I'm a, I'm totally with you on this. Urban Meyer does not sound committed to a rebuild. And this is a total rebuild situation. This is a bad, bad thing for the organization. This could hurt them for a long time. This is different than those two situations. Those two situations were, they're just not great coaches. This is a situation where you have a coach who doesn't know how to handle losing, and he's talking down to his staff. He's creating unrest, not making a good environment to work in. That alone is enough to fire him. But, hey, Shad Khan, you got the money. You got the Jaguars. I'm not going to tell you what to do. I can only tell you what I would do. It's almost enough for me to say I would fire him for cause. I mean, this is really bad at this point. So, I, I mean, at this point, it's going beyond for cause. I will pay him to not coach a game. <laughs> I'd give him a Bobby Bonilla contract and say, get, get on with your life. I don't care anymore. Crazy thing with head coaches is most of them end up getting paid to not coach there anymore and be like contract work. <laughs> anyway. Uh, one last bit of news. I said I wanted to talk about Miles Garrett a bit more later. Well, later is right now. Uh, Miles Garrett got a touchdown in this last game against the Ravens. It was the Browns' only second win against the Ravens in like the last five years. And the other one was last year as well, thanks to Miles Garrett again. So I want to talk about this, and I know you're a defensive guy. You may appreciate this a lot. I just want to say, man, Miles Garrett. To me, seems like he ought to be in the MVP conversation, which sounds crazy on the surface. But then you look at, he has the franchise record for sacks in the season. He, he got a strip sack touchdown last week against the Ravens, putting them in striking distance for the division. I would say Miles Garrett is more instrumental to the Browns success or not right now than Baker Mayfield is, which is crazy to say for a defensive end, but I think it's true. I agree 100%. Miles Garrett needs to be in that conversation. Uh, just like I would argue that TJ Watt needs to be in that conversation too. Both are the top two in sacks for uh, the NFL this season. Absolutely insane. Both of these guys are nuts. Um, and you're right. Miles Garrett is the leader of that defense, and that defense is why the Browns still have a chance at the playoffs right now. You you can't ignore that, man. You you gotta consider him. I don't know if he gets it, but he's got to at least be in that conversation. I don't know if he even gets Defensive Player of the Year. That conversation is still swirling around. You know, again, Miles Garrett's in that conversation, but T.J. Watt and the rookie Micah Parsons has been quite the revelation for the Dallas Cowboys getting into the defensive player of the year conversation, not just defensive rookie of the year conversation. Pretty wild. We have to see what happens. I just think it's refreshing to see first time in a long time. I can truly say defensive end is the leader of the organization and probably more so the face of that team than the quarterback. I don't know the last time I could say that. Maybe T.J. Watt and the Houston Texans, just when they were going through a rotation of guys. But right now, it feels like the Browns have a quarterback they're going to have for a long time, and yet Miles Garrett is more the face of the organization. It's a crazy situation. That's what I like to see as a defensive guy, like you keep saying. 
So I guess I'll get off my soapbox there. I just want to talk about Miles Garrett for a second. But let's go ahead and jump to some college news. A lot of head coaching news. You know, the coaching carousel is still in full swing. So yeah. let's go ahead and start with. I was going to say, I'm going to let you run through some of these real quick. Uh, yeah, just yeah. because we have some some bigger stuff here. Um, and I really don't have much to add other than, haha, the fall of Clemson is complete. But all you, buddy. <laughs> Well, I do want to spend a second on that, but we'll get to that in a minute. So first up is Oregon. Uh, for some reason, they keep hiring ho- coaches out of the SEC and expecting a different result. Each of the last two times they've done that, they've gone back to the SEC. Um, but Oregon gets Georgia's defensive coordinator, Dan Lanning. Can't say I fault him too much. That defense was pretty fantastic. We'll say it's interesting. Apparently, Cal's Justin Wilcox was offered the job and turned it down to stay at Cal. So Dan Lanning is the new head coach at Oregon. Really weird situation there. Not sure if they really did offer Chip Kelly. That was the big speculation, that he was their major target. But Chip Kelly's still at UCLA. We'll see what happens there. Tony Elliott is the new head coach at Virginia, former offensive coordinator for the Clemson Tigers. Uh, we'll get back to Clemson in a second here, but this really does change a lot of things for Clemson. It really does feel like it shifts the balance of power in the ACC, right? Clemson has been the dominant force partially because of the consistency in that coaching staff, and now both coordinators have moved on. Virginia has a pretty good coach here. We'll see how he does as a head coach in Tony Elliott. Uh, also in the ACC, Mike Elko is the new head coach at Duke, former defensive coordinator at Texas A&M. Had a couple of defensive coordinators on their radar. Definitely wanted to stay on the defensive side of the ball this time. A big transition there after Cutcliffe was known as a quarterback coach before getting to Duke. Now Mike Elko, and a leader of a pretty good Texas A&M defense this season is the new head coach there, has also been defensive coordinator for Notre Dame and Wake Forest. So quite a bit of ACC experience for him. Uh, Next domino to fall out of the Oregon coaching staff. Man, they're legitimately starting from nothing, completely starting over at Oregon. But linebackers coach Ken Wilson is now the head coach at Nevada. So former assistant at Nevada, had been at Nevada for 19 years in different positions there uh, before taking, trying to work his way up in the world. Uh, he was a coordinator at Nevada at one point. He was a coordinator there before taking a position coach job at Oregon. Now he's back at Nevada as a head coach. Um, some other head coaching news here. Kalani Satake is back at BYU getting a quote-unquote unprecedented extension. Not entirely sure what that means. His new deal runs through 2027, we know. But we don't know the money. BYU is a private school, so we don't get to see that. But should be a pretty big one. He's going to be their head coach as they transition into the Big 12. And also, interesting one here, uh, probably only highlighting this because it's Hugh Jackson, but also it's Hugh Jackson the new head coach at Grambling State. Yeah, the guy who went 1-31 with the Browns over his first two seasons there. Um, yeah, hopefully he wins more than one game at Grambling State. That would be ideal. I bet that he does. He's not a terrible coach. He was handed a really, really bad situation in Cleveland. But Yeah, yeah but, then he went, but then he went and made a guarantee that they would double their wins and he turned around and lost them all. <laughs> Bro, it's not hard to double one. Just win two. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty fantastic. A um, couple other pieces of news out of you know, head coaching, administrative staffs. A couple of ADs moved here. We don't want to talk about. So Vince Tyra out of Louisville. We talked about this last episode. He resigned from Louisville, got his non-compete waived by the Board of Regents for the university. 
because he was going to go to Florida State. Well, then at the last second, he got an offer to leave athletics entirely, go back into business. And he was like, wow, this is too good of a deal to pass up. So Vince Tyra (laughs) resigned from Louisville in order to go to Florida State. And instead of going to Florida State, is now out of athletics entirely. We won't hear about his name again. At the same time, this opens up both the Louisville and Florida State jobs for, I don't know, somebody need a backup plan, right? So for Louisville, that's Josh Hurd, former assistant athletic director, had been assistant athletic director under multiple athletic directors at Louisville, and will probably go back to being assistant athletic director once they name a permanent guy. But Florida State has hired Michael Alford, former president of the Boosters Club at Florida State, and also former athletic director for Central Michigan. Interesting combination of things. Kind of like it. Kind of interesting. Kind of cool, I guess. (laughs) Absolutely. But now I want to bring Tug in on uh, Clemson here. They are promoting from within for both coordinator positions. Quarterbacks coach Brandon Streeter is the new offensive coordinator, and defensive assistant Wes Goodwin is the new defensive coordinator. What do you think about these internal hires, and what do you think about Clemson essentially starting over at coordinator? I mean, they didn't really have a choice. They had to do something. Hiring from within, they know the system. They're going to keep the same system. It gives you that consistency that you want to see. There are play calling questions because these guys are unproven in that department, but hey, your two coordinator, longtime coordinators both got fantastic offers to go to different schools to pick up a head coaching job after a down season at Clemson. Y- you kind of did this to yourself at this point. Hate to say it, but you're kind of right. You know, success breeds opportunity, I guess you could say. Um, it was always a mantra at Ohio State under Urban Meyer. You know, hate to go back to that era now with what Urban's doing in Jacksonville. But at Ohio State, it was always his thinking that we want to be in the position where we're hiring coordinators every year because that means we're a really good team every year. <laughs> so kind of understand it. At the same time, yeah, it does hurt having to replace a coordinator. It's a lot more impactful than people would realize. Yeah, it really is, and it's real tough. I mean, you see it out of uh, Alabama, though, where you can actually be successful with that method. You can be, but you have to make some really good hires. So we'll see how these guys do at Clemson. Uh, Three more stories to talk about in college here. Just uh, some player moves, really. First up, Sean Clifford is coming back to Penn State. And Brennan Armstrong coming back to Virginia. Pretty important retentions there. Weird way to say that, you know. These guys had a year of eligibility left and decided to stay at the school. That shouldn't be that weird. It didn't used to be that weird. But now with the transfer portal and everything, it's it's becoming pretty rare. Bo Nix is going to be a graduate transfer. Eden Slovis is not coming back either. And also Zach Calzada out of Texas A&M is leaving. Wild. You know, we would not have seen these kind of moves in the past. And yet we have three big name quarterbacks heading out, you know. And that's not not to say, you know, not even talking about the quarterbacks who have already announced their transfer. That's just three this week. Yeah, dude, it's it's insane. Um the speed at which these guys are transferring out. Some of them don't make sense. Bo Nix surprises me. I understand he's graduating this year, but man, that was his dream school. I understand things haven't gone the way he wanted them to there. He came out, he looked real good his freshman season, and then he's kind of tapered off. I hope he finds a spot that's good for him and he can excel again. And I, I believe I he's got two or that. three. I was going to say he's got two or three years of eligibility left too. I don't think that's true. I think he has one, and I also would say that... He's at at least got two, because this would have been his third season, plus COVID. Yeah, you're right. 
COVID messes me up. Anyway, I would say he looked like he had potential in his freshman year. I don't think he looked good in his freshman year. He looked like he could develop into something really great. He has stayed at that level ever since. He needs a real quarterback coach. You know, that if, I agree with. If Cutcliffe were still at Duke, that would have been perfect. Can you imagine Bo Nix under David Cutcliffe? Not going to happen. You know, and he's also not going to get an offer to go out to USC. So Lincoln Riley can't help you out. I don't know where he's going to end up. This is going to be really interesting. One option I saw was Ole Miss under Lane Kiffin. That would be incredible, partially because you're staying in the same division. I don't know if the Auburn would take too kindly to that. I think they would still have some say in that. But that would make a ton of sense for his development. <laughs> I don't know, man. And Keaton Slovis and Zach Calzada, it's, everything is on the table. I mean, they're pretty good quarterback prospects and there are a lot of teams in need of quarterback every single year so everything's on the table yeah man it really is i don't know how you can even keep some of these guys now you're almost recruiting for your freshman year and then hoping you find a reason for them to stay so the last guy to talk about here spencer rattler i mean when yours we're not going to talk about that this episode Save it till Bugs back. It'll be fair today. But Spencer Rattler is transferring to South Carolina. Now, I know the story around Spencer Rattler is that he sucks now. I just want to say that's massively overblown. He was completing over 75% of his passes. It just, something wasn't clicking at Oklahoma. Whatever that was, hey, maybe it clicks at South Carolina, right? He was still an accurate quarterback. He could still get the ball out on time and on target, right? That's probably the most important thing you can do as a quarterback is get the ball out on time and on target. The other things, yes, they absolutely matter. We will see what Shane Beamer can do with him. I'm pretty interested to watch what Spencer Rattler will turn into here with the Gamecocks and getting into the SEC before the rest of Oklahoma. Pretty, pretty fun storyline there. What do you think about this move? Man, it's going to be real fun. It's going to be fun to watch him. It's tough. I like Rattler to South Carolina. It's a new start. It's a fresh start. It's going to get him somewhere where he needs to be. We'll see if it pays off. South Carolina is not really known for developing quarterbacks, but Spencer Rattler, like you said, he has the talent. But hey, what you going to do? We'll see how he does. We'll see what South Carolina can do. Um, it was a big story earlier, this coaching carousel, when Shane Beamer said he was going to stay at South Carolina. So, hey, maybe they're building something pretty solid there. Wouldn't be the first time, but it also would be out there. <laughs> South Carolina is not usually that good. So, Thanks. we'll see. We'll see. But that does take us to the end of the news. And with that, let's go ahead and jump into game reviews. Only one game this week. That was Army-Navy. Pretty massive game, you know? Yeah, you're, <laughs> you're throwing me off here because this is out of order from our notes, but I'm okay with this. Man, this is why you don't predict rivalry games. Um, Navy came out in the second half, find a way to shout out Army and get the win. Absolutely fantastic game across the board. Yeah, I gotta say, the way Army was shut out in that second half really surprised me. I liked a lot of Army's offense this entire year, especially watching that game against Wake Forest. I thought they were more explosive than what they showed here. But I will say, you know, this really shows how potent that Navy defense is. Everyone was climbing Cincinnati for only scoring, you know, however many points they did against Navy. Okay, well, maybe Navy's better on defense than what he was giving them credit for. That happens a lot, especially with service academies. They'll get really good at a position or two, and everywhere else they're kind of mediocre. So Navy being good on defense doesn't surprise me that much, but it did surprise me Army got shut out in the second half. Yeah, no, absolutely. That that was, 
easily the most surprising part of that game. So we all went 0-3 in the Army-Navy week. <laughs> I don't know if that's supposed to count. Um, we all went 0-1, combined 0-3 Army-Navy week. I don't know if that counts for a regular season. I'm going to stick with my 29-12 and because it sounds better than 29-13. And it doesn't change the records at all. Well, it doesn't change the winner. It changes the record. It doesn't change the winner. But we are going to make picks for all of the bowl games this season. As we kind of talked about a little bit, bowl games are going to be happening now. This is the start of bowl season. There are going to be bowls pretty much, I don't know, every day starting this coming Friday. So by the time you hear this episode, the next episode of the podcast, there will already have been a bowl that happened. That's the Bahamas Bowl this coming Friday. We need to pick that bowl today. Pretty crazy. We're going to have a lot more starting next episode. But let's go ahead and make our picks. So this is Middle Tennessee against Toledo. Um, <laughs> not exactly the best of matchups. But you know, ah, we're, we're looking at the Who Gives a Shit Bowl 1. Number 1 of 35. You are correct. Um, this is, I don't know any other way to describe this. I'm just going to give the spread and the over-under. Toledo's favored in this one by 10 points. Over-under is 51 and a half. I will say Toledo is known for having a decent offense. We'll see what Middle Tennessee can do. They're, they have a nice safety. I like Reed Blankenship. I don't like too much else about that team. I, I remember you talking about Reed Blankenship last year and then him putting an absolute egg out on the field. Yeah, that was the one game that I highlighted him and then the rest of the season he was pretty good. So that's what we get for doing our players to watch week to week. <laughs> but I think I'm going to take the Rockets on this one. What do you think? So I have a little more insight to this, uh, thanks to the BDT trench ratings. We're not going to give you where these guys are at, but looking at them, for me, this is a no-brainer. I'm going Toledo as well. They outrank them in literally every category we have. I will say I do respect Bug's strategy on Middle Tennessee here just because it's a bowl game and anything can happen. Totally understand the strategy. I got to say I respect it a lot. I'm still going to go to Toledo here. absolutely agree we also have the FCS playoffs happening three games went exactly the way everyone expected and then one game was a gigantic upset so we'll start off with James Madison beating Montana expected it 20 points you know is what it is North Dakota State over East Tennessee again totally understand it 24-point difference there. Yeah, North Coast State's a better team. Everyone knew that going in. Is what it is. South Coast State over Villanova. Villanova was the one that had a number next to their name, right? They were a seeded team, and South Coast State was kind of a wild-card team in the playoffs. But at the same time, everyone expected South Coast State to win. So, you know, two-touchdown victory for South Coast State. Okay. Huge one. Sam Houston lost. Their first loss in two years. Montana State just beat them 42-19. to 19. Oh, my gosh. Absolutely insane, man. This, I'm okay with the upset. That doesn't surprise me. What surprises me is the level of the upset. You're talking, what's that, 23-point win? You've got a you've got a three score win over the number one team in the nation. Absolutely nuts. Montana State had a hell of a game plan coming into this, and as a a pseudo Jackrabbits fan, it's got me scared this week going into the semifinals. Uh, South Dakota State taking on Montana State. We also have North Dakota State against James Madison. If you're looking for a blue blood matchup, right there it is. The FCS playoffs are rolling on. We'll keep tabs on them. We're not picking those games. But, but Doug, we are one game closer. Well, two games closer, really, 
two games closer to having the Dakota Marker FCS National Championship game. Which would just be incredible. And because you said that, it's going to be James Madison versus Montana State. I know, I know. And you know <laughs> that I hate jinxes because I believe in them. But I, that's something that we just have to highlight. And once again, the dominance of the Missouri Valley Conference is on display. So, yeah, two Missouri Valley Conference teams here. But we also have Montana State and James Madison. Both teams certainly seem to have potential to win it now. Did not expect Montana State to come out here and do what they did. But, man, yeah, pretty solid. So, Sam Houston, this is, what, they have one, maybe two more years before they head up to the FBS level. Not the way you want to go out. You want to go out and you want to go out on top, you would think. But, you know, Jacksonville State didn't even make the playoffs. So, it is what it is. So, we'll have plenty more bowl games to talk about in the future. But for right now, we have some NFL games to talk about. Because, man, NFL's been going down. We've been almost ignoring it for a couple of weeks, it feels like. But we are fully back. Bug had a game. I had a game. Tug had two games to talk about. So what we're going to do here, I'm going to talk about Bug's game. And then Tug, take one of yours. I'll go again. And then Tug, you take your second one. Right. So first up, Bug's game to watch this week was Cowboys at Washington football team. And man, just the level of pettiness on display the entire time was the stuff of legend. Dallas brought in their own benches because they couldn't trust Washington. <laughs> Love it. Love it. Um, also, <laughs> Cowboys brought their own lead into the game. You know, just spotted whatever points they wanted by Washington in the first half. You know, Washington said, hey, you know what? I think we're going to score exactly that many in the second half, too. So, it's totally wild. Back through a late pick six. And Washington really looked like they were about to win that game. Ended up not doing that. Washington just couldn't pull it out. You know, the Cowboys, maybe they're too good this year. At the same time, Dak has been so up and down. I really do think... Going into Dallas, Washington has to feel good about that matchup again. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting here coming into the final stretch of the season. Um, I was actually just playing with the ESPN playoff machine, and there's a lot of ways for this to break out this year. And this game, like we said going into this week, was absolutely a key matchup in this. Dallas now has the 1-0 lead and I think a one or two game lead in the NFC or yeah, in the NFC East. Man, this this is gonna come down to that late season matchup, Cowboys versus the football team. Just two more weeks. Yep. All right. My first game I had the Ravens at the Browns. We already highlighted that the Browns won this one 24 to 22. On a late touchdown by Miles Garrett. Absolutely sealed that game. Lamar goes down. It's being reported as a sprained ankle. Not a high ankle sprain, but a sprained ankle. That's going to hurt the Ravens down the stretch here. But honestly, man, the Browns were able to hold it out. And this is key. This is why the AFC North is so hard to predict. And it's going to continue to be that way moving forward. Because all these teams are right around each other in talent level. They know each other so well that you really don't know which way these games are going to go. And another piece of that puzzle was on display. 49ers at Bengals. Bengals are still certainly in reach of winning this division, too. Didn't help when they lost to the 49ers, though. Man, overtime thriller in Cincinnati. This came down to an unreal catch by Brandon Ayuk down in overtime. Uh, the Bengals got a field goal. It gave the 49ers a chance to come back and either tie and keep it going or score a touchdown and win it. And the 49ers got the touchdown and won it in overtime. So a nice display of those overtime rules actually mattering, but, you know, still not exactly the best overtime rules possible. Uh, we've talked too much about that already <laughs> last couple of weeks. Um, but, man, this is one of the most even games ever. 
time of possession was different by 27 seconds. Wow. First downs, Cincinnati had one more than the 49ers did. Uh, leading rusher for both teams, this was a really fun one. The 49ers had Wilson go for 56 yards, and the Bengals had Mixon go for 58 yards. That was each team's leading rusher. Pretty dang even. Uh, both starting quarterbacks threw two touchdowns. Both starting quarterbacks threw zero interceptions. Uh, what was the difference in the game then, you might be asking? Well, turnovers, because even though they threw no interceptions, the Bengals fumbled twice on kick and punt returns. Pretty brutal. You can't do that. So, yeah, both they actually fumbled four different times, but they both times they lost the fumbles. It was on special teams. You just can't do that and expect to win a game. So... I understand why the 49ers won. This was just an insanely even matchup, though. I think without the turnovers, this might still go to overtime. That was how even of a game this was. Just a, just wow, what a, what a matchup. Right, this was a really good game. So, there were two games this week that came out with one team having a big lead and then blowing that lead. One of those games went to overtime for absolutely no reason. That was the Bills at the Bucks. I still have no idea how they did it, how this game went to OT, but it did. It looked like Actually, the Bucks were going to run away with it early. Then the Bucks kind of stumbled. Bills came back, forced OT. And then in overtime, Tom Brady does Tom Brady things, but Bucks pull this one out 33 to 24, I believe. No, 33 27. My bad. 33 27. I think I can answer your question. I think it has to do with the Buccaneers secondary not being very good. Which is really surprising because they were really solid last year. But I saw a really interesting analysis by 538, and I don't know. I don't know who exactly to credit here, so I guess we'll just credit 538 as a whole. But they were talking about how the Colts under Peyton Manning were successful because, you know, they would score a ton of points on you, but then they were able to stop the pass. They would give up a ton of rushing yards every year. But you can't beat Peyton Manning on the ground. You have to match him through the air. The Buccaneers right now, Front seven is unbelievable. You can't run on the Buccaneers at all. But it doesn't matter because you have to pass to beat Tom Brady. So they're allowing passing yards like crazy. That's not a recipe for success. And yet somehow the Buccaneers are still, what, 10-3, and 11-3? I mean, this is – the Buccaneers yep. are still really freaky good. It's just, man, it doesn't seem like a – an absolutely dominant team like what we saw at the end of the playoffs last year. Again, that could totally change by the time we get to the Super Bowl again. It, know, it will. Inevitably, right. it will. Right. But, wow. this I don't know if we know much of anything about the NFL at the moment, how the teams really stack up. The Cardinals are supposed to be the best team in the NFL at the moment, and they just... Didn't look that good against the Rams. Everything's on the table right now. Everything. Including who's going to win our regular season picks for the NFL. (laughs) Well, one person's not on the line for that. I'm still not that far off. Not going to (laughs) lie. I went one and one this week. Yeah, I... But I made up a lot of ground on Bug going three and one here, so... I am now one pick behind Bug going into the final four weeks of the season. This is right where I want to be. That's that's what <laughs> I was saying the entire time. Four weeks left, want to be one pick behind. Yep, that's it. So you are the Bills, and Bug's going to pull it out in overtime just like Tom Brady. Oh, no, no, no. Please, no. <laughs> so we had some players to watch as well. Um, first up, Bug's player to watch was Tony Pollard was Very really fun to watch him on the sideline. Yeah, yeah. So the day after he made that pick, 
Tony Pollard, you know, was announced that he was not going to be able to play. We knew there was something going on with uh, his injury, but at the same time, when we made these picks, we thought he was going to be cleared to play. Was not the case. So unfortunate for Bud. But I know, Tug, you had a pretty good one. Yeah, I went Tom Brady, and I'm going to have a fun stat at the end of this one. Um, An absolutely mind-blowing stat, actually, if I'm being honest. But Tom Brady had a Tom Brady game. 31 for 46, 363 yards, two touchdowns, no reception. Honestly, the old man does it again. And he does what he does best every time. He wins tight games, even if they shouldn't have been tight in the first place. There's a reason Tom Brady is leading the NFL in attempts, completions, and yards. Absolutely insane. Uh, Also, that insane stat, uh, Tom Brady is now officially uh, 107-1 when he leads by 21 points at some point in the game. He's also 1-0 when down 28-3 in Super Bowls. Thanks, Atlanta. (laughs) Uh, My player to watch was Jordan Brooks, linebacker for the Seattle Seahawks, formerly of Texas Tech. First round pick. Everyone questioned it. Um, Not anymore, right? You know, 10 tackles in this game against the Houston Texans. Looked pretty good. He played pretty well. Gotta say, statistically and just watching this game, you can tell he is definitely second fiddle on this defense. It's still Bobby Wagner's show. Completely understandable. At the same time, you know, you want your young guns to take over at some point, right? It is absolutely mind-boggling to me that the Seahawks have the number one and number three tackler in the NFL in the same linebacking core, Bobby Wagner and Jordan Brooks, respectively. Insane. And yet somehow the Seahawks are like, really bad at football so <laughs> at some some point you gotta say we've been expecting this for some time now so at some point it's got to catch up to you right you just avoid drafting offensive line forever you don't have a consistent running back core you we've known that you can't draft for a long time when is it going to catch up to you it feels like that is this season at the same time Jordan Brooks has completely turned it around. He doesn't look like a bust anymore. So maybe Rashad Penny was a great pick. He just needed three or four years to get his feet under. I don't know. We'll see. Anything's possible. I still love Russell Wilson. We will see what happens. So the the issue with the Seahawks right now is they've become very one-dimensional in the worst kind of way. They're still struggling to get a consistent running back in the backfield, but that's not how they become one one dimensional that's not the only reason um so some stats between dk metcalf and tower lockett over the past i want to say four or five weeks has heavily gone in favor of tower lockett now you could say hey somebody's shutting down uh dk metcalf that could be true but what i am Seeing through the wire, I can't find it right now, but I saw it the other day, is that there is some um, animosity between Russ and DK, and that's going to create issues. Yeah, that's not ideal, I would say. You know, putting it lightly, not the best case scenario. But anything, you know, I've also heard it said that Russell Wilson still wants out. I've heard it as recently as a couple of days ago. I don't know how true that is. It seems like Russell Wilson is putting his effort into making the Seahawks good this season. So maybe it's a little bit of he's a good guy and he still gets paid by the Seahawks, so he's going to perform as best as he can. But I don't know. If something's not clicking this year that has in the past. I don't know if it's just you know, those bad draft picks catching up to them. Maybe it really is something about if Chris Carson keeps going down, that's unsustainable. Maybe it really is something about that receiving core just isn't what it used to be. You know, Tyler Lockett's still there, but I don't know. I don't know. 
so this this issue going on between Russ and DK, um, apparently, DK asked a girl from OnlyFans for a foursome, and she put him on blast. And DK has really only been targeted seventeen times since that came out. It would have been hilarious if we were only targeted three times. <laughs> anyway. I think that does it for a player to watch. <laughs> God, I we hope can, so. We can talk about this Seahawks struggles again next episode if Bugs up for it. But I know we have plenty of things to discuss when he is back. You know, we saved some of the best parts of our college news for when Bugs back on the show. We have a whole discussion to get into about name, image, and likeness, specifically centering around Quinn Ewers that we've been saving up for a bit here. Also, Next episode, we're planning on doing our college football season awards. Huge show for us. Stay tuned for later huge. in the week. Absolutely huge. <laughs> um, I, I don't even remember what I was about to say anymore. It was something not as good as huge. So I think it's time to wrap up the show. Hey, we have a bunch of links and stuff, right? People can reach out to us in multiple ways, I think. Oh, you know it, man. All they get to think is BDT footballs. We have our patreon.com slash BDT football, twitter.com at BDT football, facebook.com slash BDT football, instagram.com slash BDT underscore football, BDT football.com in our email as always mailbox at BDT football.com. Ladies and gentlemen, those will be linked in the description below. Absolutely. And, you know, no bracket time this week. No bracket time probably next week either. We're taking a smidge of a break before we get back into the swing of things. Hey, we have a whole bunch of bowl games to talk about. We have a whole bunch of NFL content coming down the pipeline. Stay tuned. Going to keep things rolling. The big dudes in the trenches are just getting started. Absolutely, man. And if I'm not mistaken, that is all the time we have left in the show. So we just want you to remember, you can't win a game if you can't win a stretch.